Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir on the show this week. And on this week's show, we catch up on a busy few days in African football with the CAF Champions League quarterfinals affected by violence with Nigeria's Assisat Oshwala winning yet another Spanish Women's League title with Barcelona women and with much criticism of the joint bid from Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania to co-host the 2027 Africa Cup of Nations. We assess the likelihood of their bid succeeding. Also lots on the English Premier League as Erling Haaland breaks the goal-scoring record. And also here at Planet Sport Football Africa, this month we're celebrating turning 10 years as a show. We'll be reliving some of our best moments, including a trip to the pyramids in Egypt. And we look at the emergence of the so-called smaller teams over the past 10 years, including Cape Verde and the Gambia. I'm so happy to score a winning goal for my country. And it's an important goal. So I pray to God for it to continue. Yes, it really is a packed show this week. And let's start at the Under-17 Africa Cup of Nations finals in Algeria uh, with the group stage ending this weekend. And there was controversy at the start of the tournament as South Sudan were disqualified after five of their players failed the MRI test. Uh, CAF disqualified the team a day before their opening match against Cameroon. Uh, the rules state that uh, if a team has more than three players failing an MRI test, uh, they will be disqualified from the competition. On the pitch, Senegal continued their great form on the continent. Uh, they were the first team to qualify for the quarterfinals with wins over Congo Brazzaville and an impressive 3-0 victory over the hosts Algeria. Algeria need to beat Congo Brazzaville to be sure of making it through to the quarterfinals. Uh, group B is the toughest group. Morocco have qualified already with victories over South Africa and Zambia. Nigeria and South Africa have three points each. They play each other on Saturday. Uh, Zambia have lost both games so far, so disappointing for them, but they could still qualify as one of the best third-place teams that they have to beat Morocco to do so. So we'll keep you updated on what's happening at the under-17 AFCON. And there were sad scenes in the quarterfinals of the African Champions League last weekend. A 29-year-old woman died in a crush at the gates of the Mohammed V Stadium in Morocco before Raja Casablanca's match against Al-Athli last Saturday as thousands of fans tried to push in and enter. Uh, there was crowd violence too at the quarterfinal between Tunisia's Esperance and Algeria's JS Kabylie in Tunis. Uh, clashes between fans and security forces caused a 40-minute delay to the second half. And on social media, there was very disturbing footage of a man carrying a chainsaw there. In a statement, the CAF General Secretary Varon Mosengo Omba said that the CAF will investigate the violence, saying the scenes in Tunis and in Casablanca were unacceptable and cannot be tolerated. 
On the pitch, Esperanza beat JS Cabali 2-1 on aggregate. They'll play Al Athli in the semi-finals. Al Athli beating Rajat Casablanca 2-0 on aggregate. Uh, South Africa's Mamelodi Sundowns will face defending champions Widad Casablanca. Sundowns really impressive, cruising into the semis with a 2-1 home win over CR Beluizdad of Algeria to take the tie 6-2 on aggregate. Uh, Widad beat Simba of Tanzania on penalties after that tie ended 1-1. The first legs of the semis are on next weekend. And in other African football news, five-time African female footballer of the year, Assisat Oshwala, has won her fourth successive Spanish league title with Barcelona women. Assisat, who's from Nigeria, scored in the 3-0 win over Huelva that secured the title. And Ida, not much to say that we haven't said already about this amazing legend. <laughs> Indeed, Steve. I mean, Oshoala, well, 20 goals and two assists in 24 league games for Barcelona. And she scored 26 in all competitions this season so far. The women's league title in Spain, well, it's simply won without much competition, any competition actually, for Assisset's team. They've won all 26 games in the league this season, scoring 108 and conceding just five. Now the team is well poised to finish the season unbeaten in the league for the second consecutive season. And this domination has seen the club get eight league titles in the last 11 years. So suffice it to say that they are good when it comes to the league. Since joining Barcelona, Steve, she's won four league titles, a Champions League, three Super Cups and three Copa de la Reina. But looking ahead and the job isn't done for them. I mean, they might be cruising in the league, you know, with title after title, but in the Champions League, it's not been so easy. Now, they came into this game with an aggregate win over Chelsea in the UEFA Women's Champions League. And the five-time Africa Women's Footballer of the Year, well, she could also add one more trophy to her cabinet this season if Barcelona beat Wolfsburg to win the UEFA Women's Champions League final, and that will be on June 3rd. Yes, amazing stuff from Nigeria's Asisat Oshwala. Now, as we wait to see who will win the race to host the 2025 Africa Cup of Nations, last week we reported that CAF has received a declaration of interest from six countries in the bidding process to select the host nation for the 2027 edition. Uh, since that announcement, there's been much criticism of the joint bid from Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania. Uh, this East African bid is up against Algeria, Botswana and Egypt. The criticism centres around the current lack of facilities. So uh, how serious is this bid, would you say, Ida? You know, Steve, when this news came out, I really wondered what was going on. I mean, it's all technically still at the stage of expression of interest. But I did ask myself if countries are now just bidding for the sake of it, you know. Look. I'm Kenyan, and I'm telling you that I don't think this bid would be serious. The country has barely recovered from being stripped of the rights to host the Chan five years ago due to unpreparedness. And let's not forget that it was also stripped of the 1996 Afghan for the same reasons. The Kenyan government, well, it says that this is a step in grooming Kenya to participate at the 2030 World Cup. <laughs> 
Look, some might call me pessimistic. Some might call me negative. But I would rather a country, Steve, that waits until it's moderately ready and then bids successfully all the way through to completion as opposed to one, you know, that slowly starts to gain the reputation of serial bidder with zero execution. Well, the North African countries are never to be doubted when it comes to such. I mean, Algeria just hosted the Chan and Egypt hosted the 2019 Afghan, Steve. I believe we were both in Cairo for that. And don't get me wrong here. By all means, these sorts of ambitions from sub-Saharan countries are great. But they better be backed up by something solid so as to be taken seriously. Botswana, well, they'll feel hard done by Namibia dropping out of their joint agreement just one day before that deadline for submitting expressions of interest. You see, the two neighboring countries signed an agreement in June 2022, and that was based on a 60-40 financing with Botswana, you know, taking care of the lion's share. However, Namibia pulled out and it needed additional funding of over $200 million that was to renovate sports infrastructure, something, Steve, that its government was simply unable to fulfill, saying that the drought that the country has been currently facing poses a much bigger threat and such a bigger priority. Steve, what does a country need to host a 24-team Afghan? Well, let's look at the basics and let's look at the most recent example of Cameroon, you know, with the delayed 2021 Nations Cup. The country used six venues, I believe. Now, just for context, as recently as 2022, we're talking last year, right? The only two stadiums that Kenya has to host international games were banned by CAF. Well, The expressions of interest is just the first in a five-stage process to decide who will host the Afghan. The four bids, well, they now have until late May to submit final official plans that will be before inspection visits in June and July. CAF will name the winning bid in September. And Steve, let's not forget that we still don't know who will host the most immediate 2025 edition. Yes, lots of questions there. Thanks, Ida. We'll keep following this story. We're now here at Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. This month we're celebrating turning 10 years as a show. Uh, We started out in May 2013, and we've covered numerous stories in African football over the years. We've been to many tournaments, and we've spoken to many big names on the continent. And we very much appreciated your support, whether you joined us from our early days or if you're a new listener to the show. Uh, So this month we're going to be reflecting on aspects of the African game over the past 10 years and giving you some of our highlights. One thing we've certainly observed is the emergence of uh, the so-called smaller teams on the continent. Uh, Cape Verde made their first appearance at the Africa Cup of Nations back in 2013, 10 years ago, reaching the quarterfinals. Uh, Madagascar had an amazing run to the quarterfinals on their debut in 2019, and Comoros and the Gambia qualified for the first time for the 2021 edition, uh, Comoros reaching the round of 16 and the Gambia getting to the quarterfinals. 
His goalscorer Ablai Jallo of the Gambia after they beat Tunisia 1-0 in their first ever AFCON game. Talking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Mamadou Ba. I'm so happy to score a winning goal for my country and it's an important goal. So I pray to God for it to continue, to continue scoring goals for my country because it's an important game. So the first game is so important for us. We have to win this game. When you smashed the ball and you went into the back of the net uh, while celebrating, can you describe the feeling that um, you had uh, knowing that how important the goal was? Yeah, yeah, I cannot even explain the feeling I have. The time I saw the ball back of the net, I was so happy. So I cannot, I cannot even celebrate. So I was just running. And then the, uh, the message to the millions of Gambians who, who are glued to their television watching, including the president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because we cannot thank them enough, but we are thanking them because we saw that whole Gambia is behind us. So they are giving us their support, their prayers. It has to continue like this. Yes, the Gambia getting to the quarterfinals of the last edition of the Africa Cup of Nations. Comoros were there too, reaching the round of 16 in their first AFCON finals. Here's El Fadou Ben Mohamed, who scored in their stunning 3-2 win over Ghana. Yeah, we are uh, proud to make this uh, result, you know, because uh, when we play the first two games, we want to make something, and today we, we play our football, and uh, this victory is uh, for all our fans. And uh, I'm proud of uh, the team. Uh, we hope that uh, we can uh, qualify, you know, but uh, if uh, we're not qualify, so uh, we can be proud of us. Yes, and indeed, they did qualify for the round of 16 as one of the best third-place teams. At the previous AFCON in 2019 in Egypt, Madagascar were the surprise team, getting through to the quarterfinals at their first Africa Cup of Nations appearance. I was based in Alexandria, where Madagascar played their group games, beating Nigeria, and their round of 16 game where they knocked out to DR Congo. And I spoke to this very excited supporter. Amazing excitement there in Alexandria in Egypt as Madagascar went through all the way to the quarterfinals of the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, also, we're seeing South Sudan at youth level making great progress of late. And in the CAF Champions League, we've seen plenty of surprise teams getting through into the group stage. So there's definitely a feature over the past 10 years, Ida. Steve, I'm now in my fifth year with Planet Sport, and I remember many of us being at the 2019 Afghan in Egypt, where Madagascar made it all the way to the quarters in a maiden appearance, as you've said there. And wow, oh wow, I do remember that being something so special. I'll pick on Gambia in 2022, also with an incredible story. Entered as the lowest ranked team of the tournament, as well as the lowest ranked team ever to participate at the Afghan, ended up going all the way to the quarters. And Steve, I don't think the story of the African underdog, whether on the continent or even outside of it, 
can be talked about in the last 10 years without mentioning Morocco at the 2022 World Cup. That went down in African history, and I think it best symbolizes on the very highest level just how much African football has grown within that decade. That run to the semifinals in Qatar, it removed so many mental barriers and showed what is possible for teams that have traditionally been thought of as outsiders. The very nuanced conversation, Steve, surrounding, you know, African, Arab heritage, well, that will continue for years to come. But to see players from clubs like Weedad, for example, taking part at the biggest stage of all, showed that Europe sometimes isn't the only route to the Mundial. So, Steve, it's definitely been a decade for the underdogs, and I think this is a testament to the fact that the game is indeed growing in Africa. Yes, I wonder which other teams will emerge in the next 10 years in African football. Thanks, Ida. So we're celebrating turning 10 years as a Planet Sport Football Africa. It's been amazing covering the big stories in the African game. And we've been fortunate to, to travel a lot, too. And when we do get to travel, it's not just about the football. It's uh, an unforgettable opportunity to meet people and to do some tourism. Here's a great moment back in 2019 in Egypt that I had with the Passion for Sport team. Well, this is Moses. Uh, he's my camel and he's taken me on a ride through the desert to see the pyramids in temperatures of 40 degrees. Well, camels are really grumpy and uh, it's a bit of a challenge getting used to sitting on one, but they are built for the desert and Moses did a splendid job. Uh, so the pyramids, well, going there was as amazing as I'd expected, uh, getting to see them up close. And uh, they're in the desert, but uh, they're right on the edge of the town, on the outskirts of Cairo, so they're not remote at all. Well, Moses the camel took us past the huge stone sphinx with the head of a human and the body of a lion. Well, the pyramids were built as burial places. Uh, the great one is for Khufu, the pharaoh, uh, also known as Cheops, and uh, for Khufu's son, Khafre, the pharaoh, and for his son, Menkaure, who was the next pharaoh. Uh, the smaller pyramids are for their wives as well. And you will find pyramids uh, elsewhere in Egypt and in Sudan too. They were built around 4,500 years ago, and how they were built exactly remains a mystery. The Great Pyramid is 137 metres high, uh, built of blocks of stone, two and a half tonnes each, and 2.3 million blocks went into making the Great Pyramid. There's incredible mathematical geometry in the dimensions of the pyramids. I don't have time to take you through that, but uh, they're so complex that some have said maybe the pyramids were built by aliens. Others have said maybe by angels. If it was built by humans, it's one of the greatest achievements in human history. Of the seven wonders of the ancient world, only the pyramids remain. What an experience getting to see the pyramids, and many thanks to my camel Moses for making it all possible. <laughs> Great memories there in Cairo. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Erling Haaland, the goal-scoring machine in the English Premier League. 
You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. Or to social media now. Last week on the show we asked, is the English Premier League title race over now? After Manchester City beat to Arsenal midweek last week, it gives them a clear initiative in the EPL title race. But we asked, is the hope for Arsenal still, especially with City facing a congested fixture schedule? Uh, well, most people do think the city will take it now. Asfau Damise in Ethiopia says, ah, the title race is over. Hasak Soroya in Kenya says it's Man City's now. And Belong Baji in the Gambia says, to me, it seems over for Arsenal. And Man City are a team which navigates smartly. Their play makes it easy for them to turn games into their favour, says Belong. Also in the Gambia, Pascal Colley says, for me, the title race is over for Arsenal. But Dawada, who's in France, says Arsenal are still in the race, although winning the league is no longer in their hands. And Isaac Adeboy Ezekiel in Nigeria says, anything can happen to Man City as well. So congratulations in advance to whoever wins, says Isaac. Uh, thanks for those comments. Uh, these were before both teams won midweek, which seems to push Man City a bit closer to the title. Uh, joined now by our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. Uh, so Stuart, uh, Man City on top and Erling Haaland. Well, uh, what goal scoring achievements for him? Well, yes, at the top of the table, the top four have all been winning. Manchester City twice. Although City probably had to work harder than they expected, beating Fulham 2-1. And then 3-0 over West Ham, but with all the goals in the second half. And yes, Erling Haaland scoring a 35th league goal, a Premier League record. Alan Shearer and Andy Cole had held the record with 34, but Haaland with five league games to go, hit on 35, and well, who knows where he could go. Arsenal beat Chelsea to keep the pressure on, and it was what you might call a typical recent Arsenal performance. Brilliant for the opening 35 minutes, 3-0 up, might have had a fourth, should have had a penalty, but then they lost their way, allowing Chelsea back into the game, and it finished 3-1. So that all leaves Manchester City top by one point, but with a game in hand. All Arsenal can do now is to win their final four games, starting with a really tough one away to Newcastle, and hope that City will drop points. The only thing in their favour, really, is that City, although they've won their last nine league games, Arsenal have just four games to play, while City, still in the FA Cup and the Champions League, have at least eight to play before the end of the season. But I still think it's Manchester City's to lose. Yes, and Man City playing away to Real Madrid next Tuesday in a Champions League semi-final first leg. Uh, well, Stuart, elsewhere, managers continue to be fired as the relegation battle continues. Leeds United appointing Sam Allardyce with just four games to go. Yes, indeed, Leeds have fired Hebe Gracia and they're following Southampton, Tottenham and Chelsea into a three-manager season. Remember, it started with Jesse Marsh, who was fired and replaced by Gracia, and now replaced by Sam Allardyce himself. Allardyce is an interesting character. He's 68, was manager of Bolton Wanderers for 
Eight years in what was undoubtedly the club's most successful period ever, with J.T. Akotia starring, he was then appointed England team manager but was fired after two months after being caught in a sting. In recent years, he had gained a reputation as a manager able to save struggling teams from relegation. He did so with Sunderland, Crystal Palace and Everton, but then ultimately failed to keep West Brom's Albion in the Premier League. In some of those previous jobs, he was reportedly on a good contract with a million-dollar bonus if he kept the club from relegation. Allardyce's strengths are man management, organisation, and as a former defender, his teams are always built on a sound defence. But it's another example of the panic and irrational decision-making of owners terrified of the financial implications of relegation. Yes, indeed. So we'll see what Big Sam can achieve with Leeds. And uh, it is so close at the bottom of the table. And uh, interesting comments from Leicester manager Dean Smith, Stuart. Yes, it's so tight at the bottom, with relegation a real disaster for any club. And Southampton, on their third manager, are now six points adrift and look to be gone. That leaves Forrest, Everton, Leicester and Leeds in a situation where two seem certain to be relegated and two could survive. And it really is tight. I mean, last Saturday, with eight minutes left, Forrest were beating Brentford and heading for three points. First, Brentford equalised. Then in stoppage time, Brentford won the game with a goal which on one bar graphic looked onside and on the other offside. Such small margins. Then take Leicester Everton. On Monday this week, Leicester, leading 2-1, get a penalty. Jordan Pickford stayed in the middle of the goal and James Madison hit the penalty straight at him. And afterwards, cameras were able to pick out a note stuck to Pickford's water bottle saying, Madison, stay in middle. His note to himself that if Madison took the penalty, he was likely to hit it down the middle. Life is hard. And that penalty save or that marginal offside could be worth millions to Leicester City and Nottingham Forest. And as you say, an interesting comment from Dean Smith, the Leicester manager, saying that he feels Leicester are at a disadvantage by having to play three consecutive games on Monday evenings after all the other teams in the relegation zone have already played. He has a point, but I suppose this is just a consequence of TV contracts with games being spread over the weekend. Yes, and uh, asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week, it is something that's talked about uh, all around Africa, all around the world. Is it a disadvantage if you have to play the last game of the weekend after all the other teams have had their games? That's what Leicester manager Dean Smith thinks, but what do you reckon? Uh, Does it add to the pressure if you're the last to play, or does it maybe help as the team know what they then have to achieve? Or should maybe all games be played at the same time in the closing stages of the season? Tell us what you think. You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Is it a disadvantage having to play the last game of the weekend? And uh, Stuart, what about Chelsea? Frank Lampard, uh, six defeats in six games since he took over. Steve, I saw a headline this week saying, spend $700 million to make the team worse. Now, I've already commented on this programme about the madness of Chelsea owners allowing Thomas Tuchel 
last September to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions on new players and then fire him immediately. And then to allow Graham Potter to bring the season spendings up to that $700 million in the January window before firing him. Now, the idea of bringing back Frank Lampard, a Chelsea legend, as a player, but with a mediocre record as manager, both at Chelsea and Everton, and just one season success at Derby County, it was always going to be something of a risk. But no one could have foreseen Lampard's Chelsea playing six and losing six. And this week's game against Arsenal, OK, was always going to be a tough one. But the game was over in half an hour. Arsenal three ahead. And with a shot cleared off the line. And Arsenal having a very realistic penalty turned down. I read a report on the BBC website saying that Chelsea showed no heart, no character, no desire to get back into the game. And the article also referred to a lack of direction, leadership and cohesion at Chelsea, both on and off the pitch. I understand, or the word in the street, is that Chelsea planned to bring back Mauricio Pochettino, the Argentinian former manager of Tottenham and PSG. But the new manager, whoever it is, he will inherit a squad of 43 players, 20 of whom are new this season. But you could ask how many of those 20 new players look worth their transfer fee or even want to stay put at Chelsea. The new owners say they want to rebuild the old Stamford Bridge Stadium, but frankly, they need to rebuild the team as Chelsea look absolutely certain to finish the season in the bottom half of the league table. What a tough season for the Blues. Thanks, Stuart. Man City playing Leeds United on Saturday. Arsenal away to Newcastle on Sunday. Elsewhere, Liverpool playing Brentford in the late game on Saturday. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.